This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, here with the chore of talking about the Ravens' defense against the Dolphins in this Thursday night game from Week Ten, uh, with me to do it is is Josh Reed. Uh, Josh, how you doing? I'm doing good. So uh, thankfully, it's not as big of a chore as talking as breaking down the offense is going to be. I really feel bad for you on that front, but um, this one's uh, not just as bad, but it's still pretty bad. Yeah, it's it's still pretty bad, and they they did uh, play defense fairly well, uh, except for a handful of plays, and those handful of plays really cost them the ball game in a lot of ways. Although you know you could certainly blame the offense for a good bit of that. Uh, let's uh, first tell people where they can find your work. Oh uh, yeah, I've been working uh, with Baltimore Beatdown since about uh, late January. So BaltimoreBeatdown dot com it's one of the subsites of uh, SB Nation. So find a lot of good original content there. All things Ravens. All right. So we, we promised you we'd talk about the breakdowns, and that's where I just want to start because this was really where the game got away from the Ravens on defense. So we're just going to talk through these five plays. They totaled 195 yards of the 351 that the Dolphins gained, or 56%, and they were all breakdowns in coverage for 20-plus yards. The first one, uh, perhaps the least egregious uh, of them, on, on a third-and-one play with ample time and space, uh, the Ravens had th- through a six-man pass rush at Jacoby Brissett, they got it blocked up, and he hit Adam Shaheen 21 yards down the down between the hashes. 
Uh, leaping grab by Shaheen, much too call, tall for Clark to make a play on the ball. Uh, he was also kind of boxed out by Shaheen on that play and uh, undercut him. Uh, to try and at least tackle him quickly, uh, possibly dislodge the football also, I guess, if you do that. Whenever I see a, a tight end in the air, I think about tight ends coming down and fumbling the football on their way down. But uh, this was one of those plays. Yeah, it was almost like a Mark Andrews-esque play. You know, it was the kind of plays you used to see from Mark Andrews kind of bodying out the smaller defensive back. You know, it's really a play you see by a tight end. Unfortunately, it wasn't our tight end. So, um, you know, yeah. uh, I, 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 that's the one kind of one that I can kind of live with, you know, from Clark. On, you know, he was he was in the right position. You know, he just, it was just, you know, mono, imano, bigger, imano, you know. So uh, <laughs> the bigger, imano one. <laughs> yeah, the bigger, imano one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The second play, Q2034. I'm sure you remember it. Unfortunately, uh, uh, 52 yard pass down the right sideline. Bowser came unblocked through the left C gap. He had Brissett on the, on the run. Rolling right, he eventually got to him for a quarterback hit, but Brissett unloaded for Isaiah Ford, who got behind Anthony Averett, who inexplicably stopped in terms of coverage. Uh, you know, reviewing the play, it looks pretty clearly like there was a cover three uh, that they were they were rotating into there. Stevens moved up on the right side, three guys off the line of scrimmage took those short zones. That was Stone, McPhee, and Board took those short zones from mid- middle left to to all the way right. And Averett had the deep third of the field on the right side. And for whatever reason, he, he didn't continue to cover forward. And there's no other explanation for it because there's literally no other player like Stone from the line of scrimmage would have been much further from that spot to try and cover it. So nothing else really makes sense to, to me other than it was a it was a cover three there. Yeah, the guys in the broadcast said something about maybe Averett thought he would have safety help. But even if that's the case, if you know you have three underneath defenders, stay with your guy. Like your guy's the only one that can burn you guys deep. If, like I don't I don't know what you're thinking. It's like he, he really like legit stopped running. He stopped running. It was kind of like jogging. Oh, oh, shoot. Like, no, dude. It's too too far too late. And I hate when people try to put that on, on Clark. Like, oh, well, you're the field, field general. You're supposed to be getting your guys lined up. Look, he had his guys lined up. His guy just didn't stick with his guy. You know, so that's, right. that's not on Clark. That's all on Avery on that one, and you can't, you just can't have those kind of, those kind of, those kind of breakdowns in coverage, especially uh, in a, in a game against an inferior opponent. P- pretty clear that Clark had deep middle there. First of all, he's perfectly positioned to be deep middle and not to have any any part of that one third of the field there. Uh, but second of all, he's Clark and he's calling the defensive signal, so I'm sure he knew what it was. And everybody else seemed to rotate properly into position. Averett is the one guy who is not like the others on that play. So it happened. Averett didn't play badly. I didn't think in this game, but that one is certainly a, a pretty bad blow. Yeah, no, I actually thought he played a pretty solid game outside of that play. It was just, uh, other than that, he was pretty tight. That was the only play, who, to me, the only play he wasn't tight in coverage. The rest of the night, he was actually pretty tight in coverage. Yeah, yeah, sure was. Okay, so Q3-0-20, we'll go to the third play. A first and 20 play, now, now Tua Tagovailoa, Tagovailoa is now in the game. He threw a, a pass left for 35 yards, and it was 35 yards in the air to Jalen Waddell. Stevens was on the back end, uh, came over to contest the catch, but it was just a little bit too late. So uh, the, the deep part of cover two. Should he have had underneath help on that play? Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I, I feel like in this game, the Ravens kind of, I know we're going to get into this a little later, he kind of put a little too much trust into Brandon Stevens, and he really kind of got turned around on that play. You know, did kind of kind of found the ball a little late, got turned around a little late. Jalen Wall ran a great route to, you know, get open uh, on that little side of the field. And, there, I mean, the, the Dolphins receivers, you know, they made a couple plays like that over the course of the night where they kind of just, like, went up and kind of, like, you know, body caught those balls that were, you know, either towards, towards the sideline. So, um, you would have – 
to me, you should have gave Brandon Stevens all the help he could get um, last night because he really needed it. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. Uh, we'll move on then. Uh, Q4, 1042. Uh, two is still in the game. He threw a pass right for 23. In this case, a zero plus 23 to, to Durham Smythe. Uh, Bynes was the nearest guy to the right edge. Uh, I'm sorry. This was on the left side from the offense's perspective. Always got to do that. It's a pass left for 23, zero plus 23. So he kind of rolled left through it, uh, right to the line of scrimmage. Uh, that's where Smythe grabbed the ball, uh, and, uh, and ran 23 yards after the catch. Bynes was nearest the right edge. Queen was also lost in the, in the wash and was closer to the right edge at the snap. It's hard for me to say which one of those two was the guy who really wasn't in, in position or should have had responsibility for a, a leaking uh, tight end there. Yeah. Uh, I, but go ahead. Go ahead. I'll say I, I, on my, in my notes today, I was jotting it down too. I kind of credited it with, with Bynes just because the way he was running after was like the way sometimes you can tell a guy kind of guessed wrong on the play by the way he's like running after the, the, the guy who ended up catching the ball. Like, ah, oh, shoot, oh, I messed up. I guessed wrong. And the way the, the Bynes kind of sprinting after Smythe on that play, I was like, I think that was his guy. And he just didn't think he was going to leak out and he wound up leaking out. So, I mean, okay. other than that, Bynes had a fantastic game. I thought Bonds did too. He had a missed tackle that was a, was kind of big as well, but uh, but I thought he did have a very good game. And I probably would say it was Queen more likely, even though I think Queen had a good game also. He was on that side of the formation, so I think it's naturally his unless he's blitzing. So if he's if he's got any, yeah, kind of, I thought I thought um, Queen was coming on that on that blitz, and then Bonds was the one responsible for it, if if anybody were to leak out. Okay, all right, well, fair enough. Uh, so that was Q10, Q4, 10.42. Then we go to the final one at Q4, 3.29. Second and 10 play. Campbell had beaten Robert Hunt outside for a fast quarterback hit. No one followed Albert Wilson, who was in jet motion from right to left of the offensive formation. Uh, uh, Queen and Stevens were the two players on that side of the field who might have had coverage. Now, if that was a running back and a wheel route, I think that clearly would have been Queen's Queen, responsibility, yep. or it could, it could have been. Now, given that it was a receiver, does that make it Stevens? I believe that it was too, and I saw several breakdowns after the game. Like uh, you know, that that should have been his guy, where Stevens was kind of just like hovering on that play, didn't really know where he was supposed to be or where mm-hmm. to go. And like, there's no there's no reason that Albert Woods should have been streaking that far downfield. And once again, Chuck Clark to save the day, save a touchdown. Now they end up they wound up scoring anyways, but if it wasn't for Chuck Clark, they would have scored more expediently. And I I, I and honestly, I don't know the play call for sure, but to me, it looked like that was clearly Steven's guy. And he he was kind of looking for something to do on that play. And before you know it, his guy, that was supposed to be his guy, is streaking up the sidelines wide-ass open. So, Yeah, but both of them were honestly kind of floating in space there. So it wasn't really clear to me uh, of the two of them, which, uh, you know, which might have been the guy. But uh, in any case, uh, those were the five breakdowns. 195 yards, as I mentioned, 56% of the Dolphins' offense when they weren't Blowing coverages in this manner, the Ravens only allowed 2.8 yards per play on all other plays combined. So, you know, I know it's 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 it can be kind of bogus to pick out a few plays that are the 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 opponent's worst and say, well, these are you know, if you just exclude these, then you know they're down to a much lower yards per uh, play basis. But in this case, I think it is really a very extreme result that the that the Ravens otherwise played very good defense all night. And uh, it's sad to see this and and this come apart. And they, they really need to 
get that figured out on the back end. And it, it, it's not one person is the unfortunate thing. We have Averett responsible once. We have, you know, Clark going to beat once in man coverage. That really wasn't all that bad. We're not really concerned about that one. Um, you know, we have Stevens being a little late. Again, I'm not too concerned about that. I am concerned about whether Bynes or Queen was lost in the wash. And I am concerned about whether Queen or Stevens was the guy on that last play. So, uh, you know, we have definitely some plays that should not have occurred among those five. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you as far as not subscribing to that. Oh, if you would have this, if this wouldn't happen or that wouldn't happen. But this, these are like so like uncharacteristic mistakes and blown coverages and miscommunications from a rate, you know, from a tradition, a team that's traditionally so sound and so, you know, technically sound and intelligent and in tune on the back end. We're just not used to seeing this as Ravens fans and analysts. Mm-hmm. And for this the kind of stuff to be happening, like, like I don't care who the opponent is, whether it was Miami or if it was, you know, the Rams or something like that, you shouldn't you shouldn't have these kind of massive breakdowns. And like, like as much as I think that they missed Deshaun Elliott, you know, or some other kind of back end communicator, you know, it's like I said, it's a group. It was a group failure, as a group effort, a group effort, group failure. So it wasn't just all on one guy. As much as I wanted to pick on Brandon Stevens, and please believe me, the guys in my Slack chat about the beatdown. I was, I was laying into Brandon. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's because, like, the Ravens coming into this game, they said it's going to be group effort to replace Deshaun Elliott. But, I mean, and you saw Geno Stone in more than he has been up to this season. But for the most part, I felt like they were kind of leaving Brandon Stevens out there on his own and kind of, like, expecting him to kind of like mask some of his maybe deficiencies with some of his athletic ability, and that just wasn't the case. Yeah, Geno Stone was really just using the dime. So he played very well, I thought, but, uh, I but he too, was yeah. really only used in the in the dime. Uh, let's let's talk about another topic here. This really bothered me as well. Is the Ravens are just not converting their turnover opportunities, and they had four giant opportunities in this game. And you look at what the Dolphins did. You know, the the ball comes loose from Watkins, and all of a sudden it's a touchdown. They get the interception to seal the game in the last forty five seconds or so on uh, on Jackson. So that ends his streak. And uh, you know, it's just it, it, they converted their their interception. Their, sorry, they converted their turnover opportunities. And the, and the Ravens, meanwhile, had four. Pretty reasonable turnover opportunities when you look at them. Q2, two minutes on third and seven. Uh, You know, they had a chance uh, with Bowser getting a hand on Brissett for for the good pressure. Brissett threw a a, a wobbler up on the right sideline. Averett became the receiver. The ball was overthrown. Averett had the ball in his hands, and he just could not collect it. It was a a straight drop by him. I don't don't think you could put that on defense from Waddle. Yeah, no, I had I got that down in my notes too. Like Averett, uh, you know, as tight as he was in coverage, the guy had a perfect opportunity. Uh, interception dropped right in his bread basket, and it just buy him in the hands. Like you just you just can't have that. Like, and the crazy thing to me about about defensive backs who you know have bad hands, it's like a lot of you guys are converted receivers. Like a lot, of, you know, if you ever play high school football, listeners out there, most guys who play defensive back also played receiver. So you guys, you're supposed to have some semblance of ball skills. You go through all those drills, you go through all those things, and then. You you didn't even really need ball skills to catch that interception. It's still right in your bread basket, man. Just hug it. Just hug it to your body. It's almost like, oh my god, the ball touched me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like, oh my god, the ball touched me. It's, yeah. He's kind of got. He kind of like got a little frantic there. And it's like, man, you know, like get your nerves. It's, it's really one of those moments where you kind of miss Marcus Peters, a guy who's like you know a vested veteran who. who one of the best ball hogs in the league, you know, he, he wouldn't. If Marcus Peters saw something like that, he'd be like, oh, easy money. Let me get that. Yeah. Yeah, he'd, he'd definitely be uh, be making that play. Averett, uh, you know, is a guy who's had two interceptions this year. Honestly, in terms of what the Ravens could have gotten out of Marcus Peters in this amount, I don't think they'd expect much more than two interceptions at this point in the season from Marcus. And 
you know, half a year. Uh, maybe, but maybe, you know, maybe not. I, I don't think more than five per 16 games is really reasonable at this point in his career. So, you know, it, it'd be Averett had the opportunity there to get his third pick of the year. And, and that would have been pretty sweet. Let's move on. We've got others that we need to talk about. Q3, 14, 20, third and 11. Houston beat Eichenberg for the sack. This is a funny thing about Eichenberg. He's getting beat so badly as a pass protector. He seems to have a great nose for the football he's developed in terms of uh, getting on the ground, which really hurt the Ravens in this one. Uh, so uh, you give you give the sack to Houston, but then he recovered the fumble to kind of mitigate his error to a to a degree. Yeah, that that, that, that one pissed me off too. Um, not more than the next one we're going to probably going to talk about. But yeah, I don't, man, like I was so happy for Justin Houston. Like you know, after the fact, but in in, in the immediate aftermath, I was like, get the ball, get the oh, like you, you, you got to fall on those sometimes. And I know, like you know, what, let's just move on to the next one because I know we're going to talk about this kind of behavior on on an, on the. I'm not sure if we're going to the one you expect or not, but Q4, 13, 20, uh, they were at the, they were down by the goal line, five yard line, maybe. And Tagovailoa threw for Giuseppe in the end zone, approximately seven yards deep. Uh, the ball was almost perfectly placed, but Bynes went up high for it, got his palm on the ball. Okay. Now, once you're, once you're there, if you're Mark Andrews, you know how to tip that ball to yourself. If you're Josh Bynes, you at least should know how to gamble in that situation. And, and, and the thing to do when you're gambling is you, can, you do not knock that ball down. You knock that ball up. If you, the, the ball you, not, you don't want to knock up is the, the you know, Hail Mary pass, end of the game. They need a touchdown. Don't knock that ball up. This kind of pass, you need a turnover. And the other team, they might, they're probably going to score a touchdown anyway because they're on the four-yard line or five-yard line, wherever they were. Go ahead and knock that ball up in the air. Your defense has a much higher probability of coming up with that interception, and it was a it would have been a good tip drill opportunity. And and there's also a pretty good chance you tip it to yourself, like Avery, like Avery in week in week one when the ball's up, Willie Sneed's face, and then you know when the ball comes up like that in the end zone, it's like <gasps> you know the defense the defense usually comes down with that with those kind of interceptions. When I but when I saw uh, Bynes get, I was like, okay, he's gonna haul it in. No, he went full volleyball and spiked it into the ground. Oh, come on, man. Yeah, he he did. That was uh, it. Wasn't a good play. I I I'd, I'd like to hear him explain what he was really trying to do with the ball. I I'd, I'd, I'd uh, it it just it did not look like he did the right. Yeah, thing. It, it was a good play, but it could have been a great play. You know, it was one of the okay, great. You know, you didn't you, you batted the ball down. You know, it was a great athletic play on your part, but it could have been a turnover, a turnover, no points for the other team kind of play. But you know, yeah, totally turn the game around if you if you do that. And I was waiting for that too. I was waiting for the like, minutes. Like, I mean, it's turnover time, man. You need you, we need a the offense is not getting it done. You need uh, the defense needs to either come up with a short field or a turnover to stop the momentum of this other team, which they didn't have much momentum. It was just they. The, I just felt like the Ravens, you know, like I know you're going to get this offense. I feel like the, their offense kind of gave Miami too many bites at the apple. You know, like you know, yep. you keep at, you know the defense coming three and out, three and out, three and out. Well, eventually Miami's going to make some kind of adjustment and take advantage of the over aggressiveness by the Ravens defense, and that's why you saw some of them hit some of those screens and reverses and wheel routes to the receivers. And you know, it's just like you know, you, you gave your defense is already shorthanded, and you gave this offense, this woeful offense, too many bites at the apple by being inept. To, end up on your own by your own offense there you go uh definitely a a, a bad bad opportunity to miss when the score is still six to three at that point uh let's move on a little bit for three minutes later um we have queen queen rush unblocked off the offensive left side to strip tagovailoa for a sack and forced fumble this they were down 13 to three i believe at this point i believe that that they had the, the, the dolphins had scored oh maybe it was on this drive that they scored 
I may not have this correct. So Q4-10-01, not sure what the score was. But Queen rushed. He got the strip sack. And then he looked down for the ball. And it was almost like there was a Cam Newton moment here. Uh, you remember from Cam Newton from the Super Bowl, made a career decision not to go for the football that uh, I believe was where uh, was going after. Now, see, I don't think the Queen did the one o'clock to the football. I think he was trying to scoop and score. He was trying to scoop mm-hmm. and score instead of just falling on it. You know, he was trying to make he was trying to make deep play instead of trying to make a play. Like he may already made the after play. You got to finish it. You got to see the like first things right. first. Or my my whole thing. What I can see some sometimes if guys think they're going to scoop and score, I want to say like, purposely kick the ball, but you know, like go for it, but kind of move the ball forward. You know. I guess forward in you know, the other direction, so that if you don't scoop and score, at least one of your other guys can do it. But instead, Liam Meikenberg to the rescue again, and he, he kind of came in there like a uh, I don't know what you call it, sliding just and, yep. and just covered that ball up. Now I'm not going to lie to you, Ken. Um, I must have scared the crap out of my kids because they were sitting here watching the game with me, and I was just screaming, "Oh my effing Patrick Queen! Why are you gonna be so greedy, man? I thought it was kind of, I thought it was kind of a greedy play. Like, like I understand you want to make the play, but like, dude, first things first, secure the ball. Like, I'm not saying you got to be like yeah. a lineman and just fall on it, but like, you know, make sure you recover the the loose ball first before you just you know try to ice those the end zone, right." There's multiple things he could have done, but obviously getting his body off, bodying off Eichenberg in that situation would have been a, would have been a big opportunity because they had other players in the immediate area, two others, if I recall, who had their eyes on the football. So it, 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 it was in a three-on-one situation like that. He can also play defense on the other player to, for, in terms of trying to get. But Eichenberg, big man, obviously not a guy you want to collide with, you know, <laughs> willy-nilly, but still a uh, – uh, a, a play that obviously he had to had to try and do something with. Let's move on here because this is just depressing the hell of us, no, no doubt. Uh, and the Ravens stopped the run in the absence of, uh, of Brandon Williams. I thought that was effective, at least. That Dolphins offensive line obviously is not very good. Uh, but, but the Ravens did it, and they did it uh, with McKenzie in the game. By the way, interesting thing on McKenzie. Um, he was in there as the fifth defensive lineman, which he was last week as well. But he was also in there as the eighth offensive lineman last week. This week, he was in there as the ninth offensive lineman. So some of the shine on the excuse that he's the eighth offensive lineman, he's all we got kind of thing, is going to be pretty difficult if they if they have to at some point sell this to the league. Now, they've cleverly you, you know labeled his position as guard, but if he plays mostly defensive tackle, some of that's going to go away. Yeah, I think it's definitely some creative finesse on the part of the Ravens because, like I said, they make it a point in saying that they've been cross-training him at both positions mm-hmm. so that, you know, they can't just say, like, hey, you're just sticking the defensive lineman and the offensive lineman, you know, like drills or whatever. So I think it's definitely some some smart little, you know, Bill belichick s finesse by the Ravens. So I, um, I, I like that. And like I said, McKenzie's been playing solid when he has uh, been in the games. Yep. All right. Well, anyway, uh, good job stopping the run. Lots of lots of players did a really good job. Wasn't a bad missed tackle game for the Ravens, by the way. I thought they did a reasonably good job of avoiding some of the problems, particularly on the run. We didn't see a lot of big breakaway runs created by that. We didn't see a bunch of broken tackles in the second. We saw a couple, but but not a not a bunch of big broken tackles after the catch. Yeah, it definitely hasn't been as egregious as it's been earlier parts of the season. You know, um, that, that there still were a few plays, like I said, the one where Bynes could have had the running back in the backfield for for a loss and ended up being like a gain of five. And then there's another one. I think Albert Wilson broke a couple of tackles, but you know, picking the first down, I believe. And then there was a couple of where the guys. T- 
tackled the guy, you know, got, got the guy short of the sticks, but then kind of got carried for a little bit. And that happened to Marlon Humphrey once or twice. And it was just like sometimes I'm like, man, sometimes when, they, when they're playing so far off, I'm like, could you, could you scoot up just a little bit? You know, you want to play the guy in front of the sticks, not tackle him short of the sticks, but you can still see the sticks and push for the sticks, you know? So mm-hmm. you kind of want to see you guys kind of like get dig up cleats into the dirt and drive guys back instead of, I mean, because that's what the Dolphins are doing, you know, the, on, on, on defense for them. Those guys were, were, were freaking flying to the ball, even when they were playing off. You know, then again, the Ravens were running screen after screen, but you know, and, and they weren't really playing off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that does not describe the Dolphins' defense. Yeah, no, they were they were ultra aggressive at the line of scrimmage all the time. And like I said, mm-hmm. we're not the, you're gonna you're gonna get into the offensive pot. We're gonna stick the Ravens' defense here. All right, let's let's talk packages a little bit. Oh, one of the things that kind of bothered me during the game was the Ravens, at least in the first half, did not seem to have good footwear on. They were sliding all over the place. Uh, really reminded me, uh, uh, particularly on the edge, the pass rushers were, were, were sliding down time after time. Campbell, I saw in the middle of the field. Jackson himself had trouble in the pocket. And, and I, what the game it reminded me of was Super Bowl thirty five. And if you remember the first half of that game, uh, Ravens were sliding all over the field. They really had to get new shoes at halftime. Jerry Glanville, who was doing the broadcast, even mentioned it. And he said, you know, he was actually in the in the studio, but he, he mentioned it at halftime saying, you know, they got to get, they got to get better shoes on. Cause everybody, no, nobody can keep their feet at halftime. Yeah, and, and see the thing that all perplexes me about that is like, you know, these guys spend like sometimes hours on the field pre-game. And if you're out there, you know, going through the motions, running through drills and, and stopping and cutting, wouldn't you think that like, okay, if you're slipping now pre-game, don't you think it'd be a little even worse when the actual bullets start flying? So yeah. that kind of stuff never like, like I don't, I, I never understood why it takes you a whole half to figure out, hey, let's get some new shoes. I think they I think they have a tremendous aversion to the longer spikes because they're less comfortable to wear. So they really they'll they'll try and try and try <laughs> to play with the more comfortable lower uh, shorter length spikes. But you always hear that said is when they have to when they have to put in those longer spikes that you know it it, it does put more pressure on your foot and it's it's more painful to run it. Have you have you had any experience with that running with longer or shorter spikes? Um, I, I, I it really depends on on the kind of on the kind of field that you're operating with, Ken. I know it's like if you're running on all natural grass, you know you may you may you may want some some longer stuff. If you're just operating on turf, you may want shorter spikes. It, it really depends on the preference of the player. I know me because I had an ankle injury. I know I definitely wanted um you know. Uh, you know, log longer spikes so I could kind of like get firmer into the turf or into the into the ground. So I wasn't, you know, my ankle could possibly roll or anything like that. So it really depends on the athlete. All right, good stuff. We'll move on to talk packages here. Uh, Ravens played their base package for nine snaps, forty yards, four point four per play. Not a lot to say about that. Um, they were using it basically on first down and in short yardage situations. They did play one second and nine with the with the base defense in there. Excuse me. The Dolphins ran right at it and not very effectively. And uh, and that was where that went. Uh, they played the standard nickel 33 times. Uh, it's interesting. They had three different guys they used as the nickel back in this game. Uh, I haven't really figured out the pattern. Obviously, Westry replaced Tavon Young due to injury. And uh, we, have you heard anything new about about Tavon's foot injury at this point? Uh, I have not. No. No, I haven't either. I'm, I'm very concerned about it, and obviously, you know the the one name that comes up when you hear when you talk about foot injuries, we don't we really don't want to hear it with Tavon Young because it would probably mean the end of his career if it were true. So uh, hopefully, this is a uh, you know a temporary injury of some sort, and I'm not sure what it might be, ankle or or, or whatever. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, thankfully, we didn't see him get carried off the field. Whenever you see Tavon getting carried off the field, you know it's 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 bad news. But if he's just like, hey, man, I don't know if I can go or I'm trying testing on the sidelines, then I'm okay with that because that means it's probably just a minor thing. Um, but, like, you know, like, like this is supposed to be a game to where, you know, the Ravens should have been 
while ahead. And if you had guys dealing with little nicks and bruises, you could just pull them early. But instead, you had to leave all your starters in there late because you're fighting for it tooth and nail all the way to the end. And it was just one of those one of those nights. All right, we'll just continue on with this a little bit. Mike Jasicki was in the game for most of their snaps, I think like 56 out of 69 by the game book definition. And and they were covering him with Humphrey for most of the night. I don't know if every single snap, but a very high percentage of the snaps, they just used Humphrey on Jasicki. It seemed to be a good matchup for them. Jasicki obviously did not have a really big day. Uh, but uh, because they're treating him like a wide receiver, effectively a lot of the Dolphins 12, which is a lot of what they ran, uh, was really being treated like 11 mm-hmm. in terms of who the Ravens personnel was on the field using Humphrey on, on him. Yeah, Humphrey uh, did really follow him. Whether he was lined up in the slot out wide, he was he was sticking to him for most yep. of the night, yeah. So they got 7.0 yards per play in the in the 33 standard nickel snaps. That included, obviously, some of the big plays in, in that. Uh, 15 snaps of rush dime. That was the only dime they played. Three outside linebackers, one lineman, always Campbell. Uh, one inside linebacker always bored, always had Bowser on the field among the three outside linebackers, though they otherwise uh, did some pairings, did different pairings. Uh, but the, the rush dime was fairly effective, 15 plays, 79 yards, 5.3 yards per play. Uh, they were one for 10 on third down against the package. But at the end of the half, when they put it in, they marched right down the field with PR-19, PR-2, PR-52, PR-11 on four straight plays uh, to get down to the four-yard line where they where they end up getting a field goal. Yeah, um, I, I actually like that. Like I said, outside of that drive, I really like that package because um, I, I like seeing when um, – when uh when the Dafaoe gets to line up over the guard and gets to see some of his quickness, especially on some of those twists and stunts like he did, mm-hmm. like the one like the one he got on his sack, it's almost like you know Campbell tied up those two guys and he kind of like slingshotted himself yes. into like a straight shot into the quarterback. That's kind of stuff you really love to see because it really capitalizes on his like cat like quickness and ability to really um create some quick pressure. Yeah, he's he's definitely not a guy who needs to run directly off Campbell's butt in that situation either. Not that that's wouldn't have been great for that play. Because Campbell's great at creating space and, and drawing attention. But he, he's a guy who can who can stunt multiple gaps. He can stunt around three three gaps if he needs to and and still have the quickness to do it. So uh yeah, great game for Owe. He had four uh individual stunts in this game. Yeah, four individual stunts. No, he had three of the four stunts. That's what it was. And uh, and among those he had, had that sack, of course. Uh Let's see. The quarter defense, they played for one play, last play of the first half. They played two jumbo snaps from the one-yard line both times. Amazingly, they had a first and goal at the one, and the Ravens actually stopped them for a field goal on that drive. Big win for the for the Ravens defense, and that started off with a jumbo snap that that uh, stopped them for no gain, and then a bunch of a whole string of penalties. <laughs> so long, you, can, you can't even stop the yellow from coming out, and then, uh, uh, and then finally they uh, got them off the field with a, with a three-point attempt. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was. I was like, I'm not gonna lie, man. Sometimes, like when the Ravens get down into the red zone, the defense sometimes like you kind of hold your breath a little bit because you know you you know it's not the Ravens of yesteryear where like a goal line stand is typically a goal line stand. And but when they do come away with one, you're like, all right. You know, it's almost like you. I was it's almost like coming away with no points, but you're just like, I'm just glad you guys didn't give up six. Yeah, there you go. So obviously, that's you know a big change in positive a positive expectation from being first to go at the one to giving them only three points. Uh, let's talk a little bit of pass rush uh, right now. So uh, the Dolphins uh, QBs had ample time and space on 11 of 40 dropbacks, 28%. That's not absurdly high. That's it's a little low. Uh, but they only had eight balls out quick, which means that 21 times out of 40, 
53%, the Ravens generated pressure within three seconds, and that's excellent. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't do all that well against them even when they pressured them. So they had, they, the Dolphin quarterback still completed 8 of 17 for 152 yards. That's 8.9 yards per play when the Ravens got pressure. And that includes, you know, the impact of their sacks in there and whatnot. And they weren't any better than that. In fact, they weren't as good than that with ATS, 7.8 yards per play, or with the ball out quickly at 6.5 yards per play. So unfortunate day where the pressure events didn't really pay off for the Ravens like they could have. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really frustrating when you see that kind of like the dueling dichotomy of like I, how other teams pressure the Ravens versus how the Ravens pressure other teams. And like, you know, you're seeing other teams get home for sacks quickly against a more mobile quarterback in Lamar Jackson. And it's, it's, it's kind of weird when you see like the Ravens have all these horses on defense and just can't seem to get these guys down on the ground. And it's just like, oh, man, as much as, much as you know, Luke Martin likes to say, and, you know, I, I believe it to a certain extent that sacks are a superficial stat and, you know, you want to force people that Aaron throws or throwaways. Sometimes you just need to get the quarterback down because sometimes, you know, like especially when you don't have Marcus Peters in addition to Marlon Humphrey in the back end, or even Marlon's kind of been up and down this year too, you know, like you're going to need that quarterback to get down because you can't trust your guys in the back end to not, you know, to, to hold up in coverage all the time. So as much as sacks are super frustrated, style, like they see them finished plays. There, there has to be a fear of one of two things happening. The defense lives by splash plays. So they live by – Big penalties. Holding penalties are a big opportunity to stall drives. So whenever those happen, I'm, I'm real positive on them. They live by turnovers, obviously. And the Ravens had a couple, well, really four opportunities of turnovers in this game, three of which were pressure-based in terms of the, the one on the right side to Averitt and both of the sacks, of course, were. And then they, had, they, they have to get some sacks to get big negative plays that have a good possibility of stalling drives with a loss of down involved uh, that the penalty doesn't give you. So, you know, they need those three things. And if you're eliminating two of them and saying you're only thing, the only thing they're going to get is, uh, you know, is a, is a pressure that may cause some incomplete passes. And it's just, it's not good enough for, for the, uh, the assets you expend to generate pressure. Yeah. You definitely want to see guys. It's like, my whole thing is like, okay, great. You know, you forced them into a throwaway. It's still third and seven. They have a likelihood of picking yep. it up better than if it was third and 18 because you got a sack. Yeah. Yep, I agree completely. All right, so looking at the number of pass rushers, they, they rushed three on one play. It was an incomplete. They rushed four 24 times, 8.9 yards per play, three sacks included in that. Three sacks on 24 pass plays, by the way, when you're rushing four is fantastic. But uh, 8.9 yards per play is not. Then with, with five uh, r- rushing, they had six plays for 43 yards, 7.2 yards per play. You can live with that uh, if, it's, if it's not uh, – you know, if that's your worst, certainly. And then with six plus rushing, they had nine plays, 33 yards, only 3.7 yards per play, one sack included. It, it, this was a game where this looked more like a the more you rush, the better. And and that's when I think the, the Ravens defense is, is typically effective. They just could not keep up with the breakdowns and coverage on the back end. It, it wasn't the guys delivering pressure. They all delivered fine games. In so doing, it was it was the breakdowns on the back end which ruined it for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the 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 front the front seven has been playing a lot better, uh, you know, in the, over over the last month. Um, but it's just it's been the, the secondary between tackling and the miscommunication and breakdowns and coverage. It's like even when we do get tremendous pressure and flush guys out of the pocket, you got guys running like I said, wide ass open down deep down the field with like nobody next to them. Like you know, guys looking around like, am I really this open? Oh wow, these guys are really catching them slipping on this play. And it happens like you know, game not just once a game. Like you know, like okay, you know that one big play. It's like 
multiple times a game when this is happening. And it's like, you know, week after week. And it's just like, golly, like when, when you know, when are you going to turn a corner on this? If you thought after the bye week, you'd have some of these things shored up and then you lose Deshaun Elliott. And, and it's almost like it got compounded even worse. Like I'm not saying that things were perfect when Deshaun was in, they were definitely better. You know, they weren't perfect, but they're definitely better. And now with Deshaun out, it's just like, you know, like, uh, man, where, where do we go from here? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's going to be a growth process for Stevens, but the Ravens will have to think about where they are in terms of the safety position in next year's draft and, and really decide. And, and they've got options in-house and they've got options they can go to out-of-house because I still think that Stone is the natural center fielder of the group. But Stevens definitely better athletic talent, but Stone is the natural center fielder. Yeah, I I totally agree. I definitely think Stevens is the better athlete to convert a running back. You know, he's still relatively new to playing defense overall, and to expect him to come in and just you know, like I wouldn't have a seamless transition, but like I just I'd much rather see him kind of stay in when he's prior role prior to Deshaun Elliott going down and playing Stone more just because I think Stone mm-hmm. has a better feel for what's going on in the back end more so than than uh than uh Stevens does. And you could even tell on that play he almost got flagged for the helmet to helmet, which wasn't helmet to helmet. He knows where yeah, to that's be a real good play. Yeah, he knows where yeah. to be in relation to the sticks. So he's like a lot of times you'll see Brandon Stevens tackle a guy or you get a guy but he, he's past the sticks. He doesn't really know where to be and the guys already picked up the first time by the time he gets either pushed out of bounds or tackled for um for a minute for you know a mod this game, whereas you know, so was Stone on that, on that play, he got the guy, and it was a, he's a whole like what, three, four yards short of the sticks. So that's why I'd much rather see a guy like you know Gino Stone get some more run here down the stretch if you're not going to bring somebody in. Well, the good the good news is because he plays in the dime and he always plays the back end in the dime pretty much. That during the highest leverage downs, he's in there. So it's it's you know on third and nine, third and seven, third and six, it's always going to be Stone on the back end. It's going to be Brandon having some other role. But they really have been moving Clark up to that weak side linebacker role to play the true dime back role in dime, which means Stevens might be covering half the back end. They might have to rethink that. Yeah, I don't yeah, like that. Right. I don't like that, that right now. Like I don't I don't like him being out there deep deep in the deep in deep in coverage. I'm just like man, I just I just I can't trust you right now. I can't trust you right now. You know you haven't shown. The proclivity to like you know know what exactly what you're doing on a consistent basis, or the instincts to you know make really make a play back there. I mean, he's made some plays in cover, you know, deep in coverage, you know, this season, but they've been few and far between, and the mistakes have been way more, made more consistent and prevalent than his um, than his good plays back there. So if he's not playing closer to the box or at least you know at the intermediate level, then I'd rather have somebody who knows what they're doing back there. Yeah, they could move him back into a man role too. If he could end up being the new slot corner instead of somebody else, if maybe Ardarius Washington ends up being a safety and and Stevens ends up being a slot corner, uh, I thought that he did give the Ravens some opportunity to do some new things, like sli- rotate him into coverage on a wide receiver on the outside when you want a cat blitz from from the outside corner. Okay, because Dwan Landry was was one of the Ravens who could do that fairly seamlessly during the early Rex Ryan days in 06. But he, he – Stevens is made for that kind of role. He can cover an outside receiver one-on-one. But I think he's, he's better with man coverage responsibilities than he is with zone from what I can see right now. Yeah, and I think – honestly, Ken, I, I think he's going to – I think he's. I think we're going to see some better play from Brandon Stevens once he gets more of a defined role heading down the stretch, especially with, with some of the offenses that they're going to be playing pretty soon who have like a, you know, a bevy of receivers and, and, and tight ends like the like the Browns and the Steelers who are going to play you know back-to-back and back-to-back weeks. So I definitely – think i think come 
like Steelers week. I think I think he'll, he'll, he'll kind of find his chill. I think they're going to have a good bounce back game against the Bears. I think Steelers week. I think it's really where we might see uh, Steven, uh Stevens kind of shine. It's because I could see him lined up on a um, you know on a, on a, on a clay pool or um, who's that the rookie the rookie uh, bat fire move. You know one of those guys. I could see him definitely manned up manned up one of those guys and faring much better than he did well, up to this point. Yeah. Uh, Steelers last year were a team that was was very willing to put four receivers on the field. We'll see if they'll do that this year. I, I kind of think it's less likely. Uh, a few more things about the pass rush I want to talk about. Uh, Martindale called 12 off-ball blitzes, or about .33 per pass play. Those are spread across nine plays. Uh, those went for 45 yards, 5.0 per play. I'll just continue on with the stunts. They had four of those during the game. Uh, three of those in which Oway was the looper. They had, they had uh, Oway's sack minus eight was included in that group. So uh, he certainly got it done on that one. Another one was a pressure that was generated by Houston when he stunted. Play still went for 19 yards, unfortunately. So it fell into that pattern of other plays that the Ravens got pressure and it didn't work out anyway. Yeah, I definitely think Houston and Owe had uh, had some really good games rushing off the edge. Tyus Bowser, too. Mm -hmm. So simulated pressure was an interesting one because the Ravens did not get it done here. They had uh, four plays with simulated pressure where two or three dropped from the line of scrimmage uh, to zone. And chronologically during the game, those went as PM21, PR19, PR52, and an incomplete. So four plays for 92, 23 yards per play. That's obviously not what they were looking to do when they're trying to be a little bit deceptive and, and make the quarterback feel bad. Now, on, on the contrary, Lamar was completely befuddled. And I would say more maybe the blockers were completely befuddled um, by the simulated pressure schemes that the Dolphins threw against the Ravens in this one. Yeah, I definitely think on, on the other thing like you were saying about Lamar, I definitely think it confused the offensive line a lot more than did Lamar. Because there was someone, especially on, like, on that one screen, where like Lamar was just like, oh my God, it's like five Dolphins around me. And the guy dropped into uh, underneath coverage in front of the, where I'm throwing that screen, another screen. And like I said, the Dolphins were just sitting on all that short stuff, man. And, and it was just like really frustrating to see them be able to kind of make somewhat of adjustments and pick it up on their offensive line. When you get more veterans on the Ravens offensive line, yet they're not getting it done. Yeah, unfortunate indeed. Uh, in terms of individuals, Tyus Bowser led in pressure events with six. He had three quarterback hits and three solo pressures. Justin Houston, a sack, a quarterback hit, two pressures. Adafi Owe, a sack, a 1.5 quarterback hits. He shared one with uh, Houston and a pressure. Let's see. Campbell had two quarterback hits and a pressure. Josh Bynes, a quarterback hit, a shared pressure uh, in only four pass rush attempts. Interesting, Bynes, his sack came on a non-pass rush attempt. So he didn't rush until the quarterback broke the pocket. In this case, it was a wide receiver who broke the pocket, and he came in and got that S-1. Okay, yeah, because I was wondering when I saw that sack, well, I guess the receiver was trying to throw the ball. So, like, because I was, I was going back and watching the film, I was like, when did Josh Bynes get a sack? I know he had some TFLs, but when he – oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Patrick Queen rushed only five times and he had a sack and two shared pressures. So good game for him in terms of the pass rush. It's been a while too. So that, that was good to see. Uh, let's, uh, turn our attention to individual discussion of players here. And, uh, we'll, you're the guest. You go first. Who would you like to talk about? 
Um, I, I almost want to talk about them both in conjunction because um, I really like what I've been seeing from both Queen and Vines. Like I said, like we mentioned earlier, but like really, like especially Queen, outside of that one play, you know, where he where he still made a great play, but didn't. Which I really like what I've been seeing from Patrick Queen uh, as of late, but especially in this game, like especially when it came to like run fits, the guy was stuffing everything out. So he was playing real aggressive, playing real, playing real sound football um, in this game. So I like what I saw from Patrick Queen a whole lot. Yeah, I like uh, we'll talk about Queens and Bynes together here. I like them both. Um, Bynes is playing at, a, I say this every week, but a play speed that's much higher than his 48140 of a decade ago. He's he, he plays very fast on the field. He diagnoses quickly. He moves to the football quickly. And that's why he's getting some TFLs here and getting in the backfield for, for losses. I think in a lot of ways, Queen is playing off Bynes, being the weak side guy, being the trail guy most of the time he's able to see where Bynes goes and then pick his spot based on Bynes more quickly than he's able to diagnose and make that judgment on his own. Yeah, and I definitely think Bynes is, like, like you alluded to, Bynes' ability to diagnose is really making him playing a lot faster than he actually, like said, than he actually oh, yeah. is because he knows where to go, where he, because he knows where to be, because he knows where other guys are going to be as far as the opposing team. He's able to just like fly there, fill that gap, shoot that gap, mm-hmm. and you know stop these plays before they even get started most of the time. Another really good game for Bynes. Obviously, the, the pass defense was a was a great play or good play that could have been a great play, or maybe it was a great play that could have been an even greater play, whichever you think about. But he he, uh, he contributed a lot to the run defense. He contributed a lot to the pass rush in this game as well, mm-hmm. and uh, a good one for him. And Queen, good to see him do a lot of different things in this game. I, I, the only thing he really didn't do is show any show any chops in coverage again. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we'd like to see him impact either of those plays, maybe even if neither was his responsibility. Uh, he might have been the guy who could have been quicker getting to the outside on the zero plus 23, I believe it was on the on the left side. Uh, so it, it, there were opportunities, but uh, but he did. He made good on his opportunities against the run and he made fairly good on his opportunities as a pass rusher. So, you know, it was a good game, certainly for him uh, and certainly really nice to see this trend of better play over the last few weeks in a reduced set responsibility set. Yeah, that, that, man, I'm telling you, sometimes less is more. Sometimes you can get greater production by playing a guy less snaps, you know, and not just because it's, it's a humbling thing. Like, I don't really subscribe to that line of thinking. More so, like, it's less responsibility. It's less focus. Yeah, less think exactly, yeah. more focus. Less responsibility leads to more focus because, okay, I'm focused on the, this task at hand or these limited amount of responsibilities instead of trying to think of all the things that encompass being a Mike linebacker in this defense. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that. Uh, okay, my turn. I will. Let's talk about Tyus Bowser because he had a huge game. He uh, he played the run well, but he really played the pass well and and was in there. He, he in addition to all the three quarterback hits and the three pressures he got, he got he got all solo events. Nobody nobody shared his event with him. Uh, he also drew a holding yep. penalty. Uh, that could have been a big penalty, but they they came right out of that. First and twenty with a with a thirty five yard throw, if I recall correctly, so uh, it didn't end up being the big deal that it could have been. But he looked terrific, and it's real good to see him rushing the passer effectively. And uh, his speed really showing up on tape in terms of just how much faster than the quarterback he is. Uh, they all had a pretty easy time with Eichenberg at left tackle, but uh, it was really a uh, a great opportunity for him to him to flash some speed. He still drops to cover a fair amount, so his pass rush numbers are all in fewer snaps like last week he dropped i know half the time i didn't actually look to see how often he dropped this time uh they didn't play as much simulated pressure so i don't think he dropped as much they didn't play as many five-man fronts so so he didn't drop as much because of that but uh he did uh he, he did look 
very good at, at getting after the quarterback. Yeah, Tyus has been really heating up the last the last like two or three games. You know, really in my opinion, it's just, it's just like that guy's been extreme. You know, coming off screaming off the edge like a bat out of hell a lot of these times, and it's like he's he's like coming in too fast and the quarterbacks can handle. Unfortunately, there's been breakdowns in coverage and like you know it's almost like it's like a wasted pressure some of the time where he's getting back there just like that, but. You know, the quarterback's already throwing it over top to a wide-open receiver. So um, I definitely think Tyus Bowser isn't getting as much credit as he deserves for his improved level of play over over the last um, uh, really two or three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Your turn. Um, I'll go with Adafi Owe. Um, we already talked about him a bit, a bit, but I think this is really one of his better games um, in, a, in a while. Not just because he got the sack, but because he improved as a, he had a nice bounce back as a as an edge setter too in this game. Yeah. You know, because like like um, like I heard on the other podcast and saw my own two not two eyes. You know, that on that six six yard uh, run by Dalvin Cook on Sunday. You know, you bounce back from a rough game setting the edge on Sunday with the dominant one setting edge on 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 just a short week Thursday, and not just because that 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 team. NFL he had in the back in the backfield that was a good, great one too. But he consistently set a strong edge, and the Dolphins were outside of Albert Wilson on these reverses or whatever. The Dolphins weren't getting anything on the edge, and the credit credit to uh, Dolphin Elway for whenever whenever side his, he was lined up on, they he was he was setting that edge hard and strong. Yeah, it was Gaskin's worst nightmare in terms of turning plays inside. And when Gaskin did try and get to the edge, my favorite away play maybe of the year. And, you know, he's, he's had obviously had the great force fumble against Kansas City, so nothing's going to top that. But but my second favorite away play of the year maybe was him on the stretch right. First of all, getting off the block from the tight end, Smythe. Then getting off Eichenberg, who's trying to tackle him. And then still moving outside to make an, make an RL minus one tackle. Yeah, on, I love that on, play. On uh, Gaskin. Love that play. And, and you know, you, you, you never see – Eichenberg is known for being a short-arm tackle. So he's going to have problems with a guy like Owe anyway. You know, it's, it, it would be a reason just line him up over him every every down. But, of course, Bowser has reasonable length too, and that would he's a good matchup for him as well. So you want to mix it up a little bit. But but Owe, great opportunity to, to, to beat guys like that with his length, and, and, and it really showed up on those plays in terms of, of uh, being able to shed those blocks and get to the outside. Yeah, I was cheering for that play like it was a sack. I was like, there you go, beating two yeah. blockers on that play. Let's go, young man, and even though he just about yes. the same age as me. <laughs> more of a sack than a quarterback hit that's for sure so <laughs> uh let's uh let's go with that so you had a dafe away who do i want to talk about we already we already talked about bowser right well enough on this yeah we did um we already talked about queen we already talked about binds i might be getting close to the end anthony averett i thought had a good game he was tight in coverage uh, a lot tight in the back left corner of the end zone uh on one of those throws uh he was uh, you know, on, on the right sideline, he was there, which is nice to get the football. Too bad he couldn't, you know, haul it in. Uh, generally speaking, they threw at him a fair amount. Uh, the only time they really burned him badly was on the, on the play off the right sideline where he lost uh, his focus on covering uh, Ford. It was on that play. Uh, but otherwise, I, I, you know, very good game for Anthony Averett, and, and uh, he continues to really improve his payday this offseason. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think it was another, another solid game for him. It's just like, you know, he had as, as solid as he plays from almost start to finish, he has those like a couple plays a game where you're just like, oh man, like especially those like high leverage downs. I think he there's like a third and he was like a third down or something like that where he kind of like bit on the out and up and the guy kind of like stopped short of the sticks and caught it. And, and it was either third and seven or third and third and nine. I can't remember what part of the game it was. Definitely the second half. We're just like, okay, about to get off the field again. And then he gives up a play for like eight or nine yards. I'm just like, damn. But you know, other other than that, he had a solid game. Yeah. 
How about Chris Westry coming in there and playing some steps? I thought he was excellent. They loved the tackle short of the sticks. Didn't really look like they went after him very much, except on that one slant. Uh, he, he tackled to set up fourth and one. Then they came to the line of scrimmage. They tried to draw the Ravens offside, failed, called timeout, and punted it. Yeah, yeah. I thought in limited snaps, I think they're definitely easing him back in. But I definitely love what I saw from him. I can't wait to see what um what his role expands into, especially if, if it. And I'm not sure if Jimmy got injured or he just didn't want, didn't want to use him as much. But I definitely think the presence of Chris Westry is gonna like make them more maybe accepting of the idea of, of using Jimmy in an expanded role as a as a safety. Even though I'd rather him have him as a backup as a backup corner, but if, if Stevens is going to play this, this inconsistent in the back end, you're not going to bring anybody in. You might as well trot Jimmy back back there in some kind of like you know deep safety role or even like a like I said a hybrid uh, man man coverage guy. If you don't if you if you don't trust Stevens to play as many steps as he's playing right now. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think Stone might be the guy if Stevens really is, is inconsistent play becomes a bigger problem that you go ahead and just replace him with and you bring Stevens in for the dime or you or you decide if Smith is really the guy you bring in on the dime on the back end. But I, I don't think you'd make Smith an every down safety. I think that's just no. too much wear and tear for him I, uh, that wouldn't make sense to me. All right. I think we're good with that. We don't have to do any MVPs after the uh, after a loss, but let's go take a look at the mailbag here. How about you join me in doing so? Go over to uh, Twitter, if you would, and we'll look for uh, hashtag film study mailbag, and we can read off questions alternately. Have you done this before with me, Josh? Yeah, I did it uh, a couple times. Yeah, film study. All right. Terrific. Uh, okay. Okay, here we go. Um, I got one from Alec Poulianis, a regular friend of the show here. Do you think a simplification of scheme would lead to more effectiveness? Communication breakdowns seem to be the main think, think holding the unit back from being great. You know, I, I think the scheme is already somewhat simple, a simple, the, the, the teams that try and really, um, disguise their coverage and move players around and, you know, they show you X, but they really are doing Y. I mean, that's one thing, but cover three is pretty basic to, to blow. You just got to know what your assignment is a little better than the Ravens have recently, I'd say. So, I, I, you know, if, if there was a lot of complication, it's on the pass rush. In terms of what they do, I don't think it's really in the coverage. What do you think about that, Josh? Um, you know, like for the longest time, people like people say that you know the Ravens' defense is a hard defense to learn, one of the most most complex schemes in, in, in the league. But you know, I just feel like I almost want to be like Bill Belichick sometimes. Like, just do your job. Like, you know, just do your job. Sometimes, like you know, guys like trying to do a little too much, or like you know they don't know what they're doing back there. Or like you know, if Anthony Avery on the play on the big play he gave before halftime, just do your job, bro. Why are you worried about what's going on in the flat? If you're, if, you know, if your guys don't want to burn you guys deep, so just just like I, I feel like it's not so much complex as more as it is sometimes guys being doing too much or being overly aggressive at times. Uh, I, I really think the Ravens defense is a lot simpler than than um, people are making it out to be. Fair enough. You got one you you're looking at. Um, you already read the one from Alec. Um, and I don't want to read the one about the draft pick. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we'll, we'll go to that one right away. Is it too early to start thinking and, and saying and saying draft pick 15 to 20 is a lot better than draft picks 21 to 25? I'm going to say <laughs> if the Ravens draft 50 to 20, that's worse in a lot of ways, just missing the playoffs and, and drafting 21 to 25, just making the playoffs and losing in the first round is what that would mean. Uh, I'd be very, you know, I, I don't want either of those results, but I definitely don't want a uh, fail to make the playoffs this year because I think that'd be just too much 
potential finger pointing and too much potential disruption that would come from it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I hate, I hate looking looking that far ahead, anyways. But I definitely don't think this team, as as bad as it looked last night, I, I think this is more of an aberration than it is indication of what's to come down the stretch. Like if they come back, bounce back from this game, you know, and beat the Bears handedly or even close, you know, where people are still probably not going to be. On back on the bandwagon, but you know once they once they I feel like once the Ravens emerge through that you know that that three game stretch when you go Browns Steelers Browns and mm-hmm. you know we'll see how what what, what shape they're, they're in. I think I want to people will hop back on the bandwagon, but I think some of some of these the way we're feeling now we're not going to be feeling four weeks from now hopefully. I, I think I can say that for sure, because four weeks from now, we're going to know more. So we're either going to be feeling absolutely terrible and worrying about what computer games we're going to be playing in the offseason, or we're going to be really happy about where life is and and uh, and living week to week in the okay. NFL the way we want to after they go three and one. I'll read this one from uh, Andrew Hall. It says, I've been, uh, I've been very pro-Wink over the years, and I know he's dealing with replacement players, but how much blame does he still have to shoulder for the egregious defensive breakdowns? Is it crazy to start thinking about a change? Um, I think it is crazy to start thinking about a change because these breakdowns aren't on Wink. He's calling the good game. It's just the players aren't executing. John Harbaugh says it. You know, As much as he wants to put the blame on the coaching staff and himself, at 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 some point, you know, you 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 got to put the blame on the players. You know, the players are out there; they're the ones out there blowing these coverages. You know, I, I got I, as much as I don't want to lay into Brandon Stevens. There was time; it was almost like you know the Queen thing from earlier this season. It's almost every play, guys were kind of gesturing him like, "No, go here, over here." You know, you know, guys are doing these little hand motions, and like if you don't have. If you don't have the guys in there that you can trust to play in down in down out, you know that's that's at, at some point. He can only make so much lemonade out of these bruised up lemons, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think inside linebacker was one of the positions where they actually found a way to have an on-field handler for, for Queen that's been very effective. And, you know, the, the, the guy, fortunately, they had to replace him is a contributor, you know, in terms of the Mike linebacker and has, has played very well. You know, at, at deep safety, uh, a guy who's going to play a fair amount of single high, I just don't think you can expect that same thing. That guy has to play alone, make good decisions, trust his reads and go. Uh, if, if Stevens is going to be, uh, back there, it's just, he is on an Island in a lot of ways in terms of understanding what his own responsibility is. And, 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 you know, some of that's going to, it's going to have to be done properly. Same goes for the outside corners. I mean, Averett's got to know what he's doing on the long pass up the right sideline. And that's, that's just a darn shame, but, uh, yeah. hopefully he can, he can contribute and, and, uh, be different. I got one more question here for you. Uh, do you think the personnel decisions are on the OC or are HC and GM having input? So, okay, this is really talking about the offense. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go at it since we're a little bit uh, – we're, we're at a good time here. But are you at a point where you think that Roman – they really need to consider moving on from him? You, you said no one wink, and I agree with you 100%. What, what, are, you, what are you on Roman? Uh, I mean, sometimes it's kind of it's kind of hard. And don't get me wrong, I, I was getting really pissed off with the whole. Sc- I, I even typed it. I think I tweeted it. You know, the whole screen up palooza thing. Sometimes, like mm-hmm. I think he waits a little too long to make adjustments. Like instead of beating your head into a wall for for a quarter, a full quarter, or a full half, and then some. But you know, sometimes you just got to make better adjustments. And I don't know if you need John Harbaugh to radio up like, hey, dude, why you keep calling these screens? And granted, you know, some some of the balls are tipped at the line of scrimmage, and some of the balls are dropped. 
dropped. But like, and 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 ordinarily screens are usually high percentage plays because you know you're throwing it short, and then you hopefully get blocker set up. And it's something that's been working, especially for Hollywood Brown the past couple past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But on nights where it's not working. Just turn away from it, dude. Like if they're if they're if they're bringing the house and they're leaving these guys on an island, and it's like as, as good as you know the 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 name recognition of Miami's corners have been you know in, in the past. Xavier Howard and and Byron Jones haven't been playing up to standard this year. So like like you saw with Rashad Bateman getting behind them late, later in the game, you should have been doing that in the third in the second third quarter. You know like if they if they're gonna keep bringing the house, you gotta make teams pay for for their over aggressiveness. The same way that the opposing offenses are making the Ravens. Defense pay for their over aggressiveness. You got to do that on the flip side. So I, 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 don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm not on, I'm not to the point where I'm like on the uh, okay, you know, get rid of Roman thing because this guy was just, you know, was just named assistant coach of the year two years ago, you know, and it's like you know when he came it was revolutionary offense. Now has he made the proper adjustments all the way? You know, some of it's on personnel. Some of it is is on him. Yeah. So, like, he could definitely call better games, but at the end of the day, like, I, it's it really boils down to execution. And then sometimes defensive players make good plays. Like Javon Holland, I tweeted out last night. He had two two huge pivotal plays for the Dolphins defense last night. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was the um the, the play where he recovered. I don't know if the ball was a little later. He just made a really great play when he knocked it out of, out of uh, uh, Brown's hands. He had that pass break up and then he had the um the tip ball at the line of scrimmage on the other screen where um where Hollywood had nothing but green grass and blockers in front of him had that ball been completed, it would have been a big play and then some. So sometimes even the most lowly defensive have good players that can make great plays. And like my dad always tells me that even the crappiest teams get better as a year goes along. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know about that. But the, the, uh, one of the things that I think is going to uh, really not make it easy for Roman is the personnel he's got a really replacement level at this point on the offensive line. I mean, he's got two tackles that aren't good. Are just are, are simply not good. And the guys in the middle are suffering because of it. Zeitler is a, is a good player, and he's the glue that holds the line together. But Bozeman is really suffering from the guys around him. Uh, Powers is probably, you know, he's, he's doing some decent bailout blocks to try and help Villanueva. He's playing at a C level. You know, it's not terrible, but, you know, you still hope that you'd have Cleveland back at some point. Um, that's really the only hope I see for the offensive line. I still see a lot more risk that they'll have additional injuries that will hurt them then they'll have a lot of additional gain from having Cleveland come back. But he's the player. I mean, he's the player who could potentially turn some of this around. But it's it should be obvious to anybody watching it that the 2019 Ravens with Stanley and Brown and Yonda had an awful lot more to work with than the 2021 Ravens uh, do right now. And, and it's just, you know. It, it is what it is. It's almost like you can't get one one without losing the other. In 2019, you had to start off the line, but then so-so receivers. And then mm-hmm. in fast forward 2020, you got, you know, you get a great supporting cast as far as the skill positions outside of running back, of course. And then, but the offensive line is in shambles. And it's just like, man, you, can, you can't, it's almost, it's almost like you feel like you can't win for losing. So I, I don't blame Roman as much because these blockers, it's, it's, these blockers, man, they just, they're just not getting the job done. They're getting, they're getting, right. they're getting bullied. Uh, I, I want to say down in, down and out, but like, you know, they're, they're definitely, they're definitely plays in times in which they are the aggressors. But a lot of the time these guys are retreating and getting, you know, are, are, are getting blown back and blown off the ball. And I definitely agree with you as far as Cleveland coming back 
I mean, I, I, I said Powers. Powers to me, he's the definition of a replacement level player. He's he's one of those guys who's going to be a great career backup slash spot starter. But I definitely think um, Cleveland gives him the better um, a better option as as a pass protector, especially. So I, I definitely think um, if if he, if he can get back, it'll be a boost. If not, me stuff tough sledding. Yeah, well, they, they, uh, I'm not even sure that's the, the only place they will use Cleveland. But uh, if, if they have additional injuries, particularly at tackle, we'll see. I, oh, boy, he's in here now. Maybe he's the guy they're, they're definitely set on next at right tackle. I think that's probably the case. But uh, if you watch oh, boy, he play, he's got incredible length. The guy does not play with it at all. He, he, he's always trying to put his shoulder into his opponent instead of using his arms at, at, at length. And it just drives me up the freaking wall watching him play. Uh, I, <laughs> The, the other the other thing I want to say is about screen passes is the Ravens have tried some screens recently, and I think they do a pretty good job on bubble screens where it's just the wide receivers you're depending on to block as opposed to linemen getting out in front of the play. Linemen getting out in front of the play for the Ravens is bad news, and there's a couple of reasons. One is if there's any kind of RPO stuff at all, they always leave too early. Okay, So it, the, the decision to throw is then taken out of Lamar's hands and he either has to run the ball or, or you know, face the risk of a penalty. And they've had you know, a, a fair amount of risk of that this year by getting guys too far downfield, including one was called at a very unfortunate time on Zeitler. Um, the, other, the other thing is that their good blockers are the wide receivers right now. And this is what's so pathetic about it. I mean, you know, I, I, honestly, uh, Duvernay and Boykin are probably the best two receiving blockers they have right now. And they can go put him out, them out in front of Hollywood Brown. Well, that's a better chance to make a screen work than – you know, getting other safeties and corners into the action, mostly safeties or linebackers, perhaps, and trying to block them up with even 300 pound linemen, because Ravens don't have anybody out there who can really move effectively at this point in their career. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're they're at a they're at a point where they're better off using a bubble screen than they are using a a standard you know New Orleans Saints type screen system where they get three three linemen out in front and really try and outweigh everybody. Yeah, I love that Saints line. They have a lot of athletes on on their offensive line, especially yeah. Teron Armstead and, and Ramchek and McCoy too. Yeah, and it's nice to have one on each side to start with, so you can you can run your screens in either direction. All right, Josh, always a pleasure to do the the show with you. Great talking football. The hour flies like like nobody's business. Uh, what you got working on this week? Um, so I have my rookie report coming out tomorrow. On like, like the, outside of outside of Stevens, it was a pretty pretty good day for the rookies. Um, like I said, Tyler Lawson still hasn't gotten a chance to shine much on offense for you know obvious reasons, but he's been a stud on special teams. He's been great yeah. covering covering punts, especially. And um, but uh, yeah, Ole had a good game, and and Bateman had a good game. I'll dive into I'll dive into that, and then after that, so I usually do an unsung heroes piece. But I, I, I told I told Kyle last night I was like, "Hey man, can I do some episodes on unsung heroes?" I don't think anybody's going to read about unsung heroes from this kind of this kind of you know not from this, this kind of a loss. Not, this no. this kind of loss. <laughs> so I did do it for Week One against the Raiders just because there were some unsung heroes in that game who really kind of came up clutch mm-hmm. and we just didn't pull that one out. But in a game like this, there are no unsung heroes. I don't even care if there were some you know small bite. But the word unsung hero is, is kind of indicates that there was like okay you know there was a chance and you know there was like you know they either they played a pivotal role in winning the game or you know they just you know like oh just came up short but they but you still wanted to highlight somebody who did something great. It wasn't a whole lot of great last night. So uh <laughs> I, I I bypassed that. So instead of this week I'm gonna go do a what what went wrong piece instead of the unsung heroes. 
That's, you should have a good start on that. <laughs> What's up to that tonight was certainly a lot of that. Um, re- well, really appreciate you coming on, Josh. Uh, and uh, if, for folks out there who wanted a 25 years piece, we still got about 10 of those to record. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. Let's talk about that. Some narrow topic we can discuss in about 20 minutes at some depth. That's the ideal thing. So you want to talk about a player from the past, a trend, a comparison from, from new to old, anything you like. Uh, hit me up. And, and the more obscure and weird, the more I like it. So we had one guy talk about uh, uh, the corner, Rashin, uh, Rashad, Rashad Melvin mm-hmm. uh, from, from 2014, who had played five games as a Raven, uh, had, a, had a mark left on the team after just that time where, where he had a, a part of Ravens history. So I uh, appreciate any, uh, any topics you might have. Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks again. Free Tyson Williams. <laughs> I'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.